Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Hey, I'm excited about what uh, I want to share this this morning. Um, <laughs> you know, what what would you say maybe the most visible, the most known verse in America? Yeah, you might guess. Here's one picture of uh, what that might look like. Because we see it at every stinking sports event, uh, whether it's a football game behind the goalposts or in the stands, whether it's a PGA Tour event or there's always somebody in there, John 316. Uh, and I just, I just dwelled on that and I thought, you know, in some ways that may be the picture. Here's another one. Uh, John 316, there he is. That's not his name. You know, people go, oh, Tim Tebow, I think he's sponsored by God to uh, share that verse. I don't know what he gets for that, but uh, there he is. There's John Tim Tebow. Uh, in some ways, that verse might just be, to most Americans, kind of defines what it means to be a Christian in America. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you've seen that sign many times. Maybe you know that verse well. For those that don't, uh, I'll just throw it out there. Um, <laughs> Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, great verse, great message, um, but there's just one key thing in there. It all hinges on what does that word mean? What does believe mean? Um, because if we identify that, if we say, well, okay, this is what it means to believe in Jesus, then that is a great verse, a great promise, something to hang your hat on. So we're going to look today at what it means to believe in the way it was written, in the way it was presented. Uh, so to do that, though, we have to understand the difference between the Western uh, definition of belief and the Eastern definition of belief. We have two different cultures here. Ours is a Greek culture. Ours is a culture that... Uh, is, is a culture of the mind um, versus the Hebrew Eastern culture, which is a relational uh, action kind of <laughs> uh, culture, if you will. Uh, so it, uh, to the Western mind, it's more of a noun. It's a thing we do. It's a, it, we believe something. It's like, I believe this statement. I believe that thing. Um, but to the Eastern mind, it's more of a verb. It's, it implies action. One way to look at that might be the difference between a, uh, a doctrine is a statement of belief. We're very big on that in the West. You know, we've got all sorts of doctrine statements. Hey, what does your church believe? Well, this is what we believe. This is what we believe. About. Okay, I believe that. Uh, we, we're very good on it. And, and we look at belief as kind of a yes or no. Do you believe or do you don't believe? Um, so that's, that's one. I want to highlight one of those because this is a statement, one of those doctrinal statements uh, developed a while ago called the Apostles' Creed. Some of you may have grown up with this. I did. You know, as a 12-year-old, I think, when we were going to a Presbyterian church at the time, and that's what I had to go through. I had to memorize this to be a member of the uh, Presbyterian church. Uh, and it was really, in my mind, it was, okay, this is the statement. If I, if I believe this statement, I'm a, I'm a Christian. That's kind of what it meant. That's what it implied. So I just want to read it, because uh, there's nothing... Uh, I think, offensive about this statement. Uh, The Apostles' Creed. Oh, by the way, this wasn't written by the Apostles, just so you know. This wasn't like a first century document. Uh, This was written several hundred years later. Uh, really is a Western uh, culture document. Um, And here's what it says. I believe in God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I can almost hear some of you under your breath repeating this because you probably did that sometime in your, some of you in your church experience. Um, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic, and that word Catholic means worldwide. It doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church. Um, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. It pretty much covers uh, the Christian faith. I mean, we all agree with that. And again, in our Western mind, we look at that as kind of a checklist. Okay, I believe that. I believe that. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, I believe all that. And that's our kind of our uh, assurance, if you will, uh, about what I believe in. And that's, that's what it means. Uh, well, <laughs> and you might, and again, it, in our Western mind, it's a yes or no. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes or no. Um, that, we're very uncomfortable in the West with gray areas, with maybes. Um, Hebrew, Eastern culture, not so much. Uh, so that's the Western look. Let's look at the Eastern look of that, uh, or the definition, if you will, of that verse. Another statement, this is actually a verse out of James. James was one of the disciples, wrote the book of James. He's Jewish, uh, one of Jesus' followers, Jewish culture. And so this is what he writes about that idea. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone may say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Um, <laughs> pretty clear. I mean, there's somebody from that culture trying to help maybe our culture understand this is what it means to believe. It, it implies action. It's not just a statement of what we believe, but what are we doing about what we believe? What, are we, what action are we taking to say this is what I believe, not just what I believe, but what am I going to follow? What am I going to do about what I believe? Um, so another illustration or story that I like that relates to this. Uh, turn of the century, 1900s, uh, no TV, very little radio, hadn't really come on yet. Newspapers are about the only mass uh, communication. So there are a lot of people that uh, were in the circus, daredevils, stuff that people did to kind of gain a crowd and make money and that kind of thing. Well, one of those was a guy named Blondin. He was from France, came to the United States, and he was a daredevil. He was a high-wire act, tightrope walker. And he set up his apparatus across the Niagara Falls, kind of right on the corner between U.S. and Canada there. And uh, one day he just gets up there and starts to walk. He kind of put out some flyers, and people came, and he said, uh, let people know I'm going to come back tomorrow. So he comes back tomorrow, and he gains a bigger crowd, and then it gets in the newspaper. He said, Saturday, I'll be here. You will see things you will not believe. Well, sure enough, Saturday rolls around, and he, there are thousands of people to watch Blondin walk across his tightrope. And uh, he does. He gets on one end. He, he walks across this tightrope with his balanced beam and gets to the other side, and the crowd just starts to cheer louder, and he starts back, gets back to the other side, reaches the platform. People are going nuts, going cheering, big roar. And uh, from the platform, he, he says, how many believe 
that I could put somebody in a wheelbarrow and push them across this tightrope. And they're all chanting, Blondin, Blondin, we believe, we believe, yay! And then he looks down and says, how about you, sir? Uh, well, no, <laughs> thank you, but no. Uh, and you, sir, how about you? Well, needless to say, I don't think anybody would have volunteered, but he didn't expect it to. He said, that's okay, I've got my volunteer, and kind of pulls the old switch, and the volunteer gets up there, gets in the wheelbarrow, and sure enough, he pushes this person in a wheelbarrow across this tightrope, and the crowd is going berserk. But what a great illustration between what it means to believe and what it means to believe. Uh, It's easy to say, I believe that somebody can do something. I believe that person can do whatever. But it's another thing to entrust yourself to that. It's another thing to risk your life by what you believe, to take action, if you will. Kind of like for those that were here last week, I talked about Peter in the boat in the storm. And he wanted to know, Jesus, I, I, I need to believe that that's you calling me. And he said to me, yeah, come. Well, he had to get out of the boat. Uh, just like that guy had to get in the, wheel, in the wheelbarrow. Um, so that's a, I think that's a great picture. <laughs> so um, another story, another illustration. When Judy and I, my wife, went to uh, Israel, I think it was six years ago, 2000. Yeah, we can do the math. 16. Um, we went to Israel with Marty Solomon. Some of you may have done that. Maybe you know about that, but they're life-changing trips. I'll just use that as a little side ad if you ever get a chance to go on a trip, especially with somebody like Marty or Brad Gray or somebody else, that uh, it's a life-changing experience. But uh, I bring up the story because every time he takes a group, and he's probably done this 20 times or more, but every time he takes a group, he's, he end up in Jerusalem for a couple of days, and we walk around the city, and he always takes a group to this shop. It's Moshe's shop, a Jewish guy that he's befriended Marty. They've had long, in-depth conversations about faith and all of that. Well, Moshe's not a Christian. He's a uh, devout Jew. And uh, anyway, he brings everybody into this shop environment and they get to hear Moshe's story and uh, his cultural perspective, all that kind of stuff. Well, almost inevitably, and Marty didn't tell us until afterwards, but he said, you know, almost every time I take people in there, I, he gets, Moshe gets the same question. Uh, and that's something like, well, Moshe, you, uh, you know Marty well. You know what he believes. You know what he stands for. You, he's talked to you about Jesus. He said, how can, uh, I'm just confused, how can somebody that uh, knows the information, how come you're not a follower of Jesus? How come you're not a Christian? And Moshe, you know, he's had this question several times. So he was prepared for it. He said, well, I do believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus was who he said he was. I believe, you know, that he was a real person, historical. I believe he was a great teacher. But here's the reason I don't follow him. And Jewish people, for the most part, don't follow Jesus is because in our culture you follow somebody by doing what they say and we look at the Christian church in them for the most part and it's a church that doesn't do what Jesus says to do <laughs> kind of ow um, and I think in all honesty you have to believe from a Jewish perspective you can understand that when Jesus says some pretty radical things about what it means to follow him to believe in him and do we do those things or do we just acknowledge that, yeah, I believe that that's what, who Jesus is and what he does. Um, so there's a second illustration. A third one uh, would be this statement that Jesus made. I heard this before, but only in the last couple of years did I uh, have it put in context for me. But Jesus at one point said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 
people heard that verse before? Kind of, kind of famous verse. And again, our Western mind, my mind, when I heard that verse, my easy interpretation, well, yeah, Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Jesus, everything that was written about him in the Old Testament, the Old Testament points to Jesus. When he came, he fulfilled that. Well, that may be a part of it in a sense, but that's not really the main focus Jesus had. He's responding to the religious leaders. And what Jesus means by that in the Jewish culture, to fulfill something, to fulfill the law means that you live it out, that you do what the law says. If you don't do what the law says, you're in essence abolishing the law. And so that was the point he was making to the crowd. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I'm not starting something new. I actually came to live out the law in reality. Maybe help redefine it in some ways, reemphasize it, but I didn't come to abolish it. I didn't come, not, I, I came to live out what the law says. Um, so that's, again, a different way of looking what it means to believe. Um, well, as a verb, uh, I'm just going to declare that the Jewish culture wins this argument. What does it mean to believe? I think, uh, uh, why? Because, well, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus taught to a Jewish audience. They heard him in that culture. They responded in that culture. They wrote about it in that culture. So we need to kind of adjust our view of what it means to believe. Not that it's not important to believe statements, to say, yeah, I believe that, but more important to take it as a verb. What are we doing about what we believe? Um, so with that in mind... Uh, as a verb, I have to start by saying it's not static as a verb either. It's not, I believe, I do everything, I don't do everything, I, I believe, I don't believe. It's not that simple. It, uh, it's, it's not static. It's not on and off. Um, well, here's a, I'm going to dig into this a little bit, explore it, unpack it, and I'm going to do it kind of by way of review in a couple of verses. The first time I shared uh, in this series, Jesus uh, the person of Jesus. I talked about Jesus' first public appearance. He, up in Cana of Galilee, he changed water into wine. And uh, great story, great first uh, miracle, lessons we learned there. And then at the end of that chapter, we didn't read, it says this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So that's the first time we see a statement where the disciples believed in Jesus kind of his first public appearance. Um, well, so what does that mean? So that, okay, now they believe in him. The rest of the time they continue to believe in him. Uh, that's the way we kind of look at it. But I want to I challenge us a little bit on what that might look like. So the next chapter, by the way, John 2, he's up in Cana, he's up in the north of Israel, north side of the Sea of Galilee. And the next chapter we see him down in, in Jerusalem because it's the Passover. Uh, most committed Jews make it to every festival for, for a year at least, uh, and this is one of those, that everybody comes to Jerusalem for the main festival, Passover. And in John 3, he's uh, teaching, he, people are hearing him, and just think, this is a place where most everybody in Israel is coming, so they hear Jesus the first time in Jerusalem. Um, and he, this is where he has that conversation with Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, he's a religious leader, and He's challenged on what it means to be born again. You may remember that story. But then he ends that conversation with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now just rephrase that as an action. So what what does that mean? What do you do with that? That's what the Jewish audience is trying to understand. Um, So that was John 3. John 4, they all leave the Passover. And in this case, they're going north 
and John 4 starts with Jesus' encounter with this woman of Samaria. Uh, Samaria was the dreaded place. You don't go through there. You'd, you'd go in sometimes hours or a day out of your way to avoid going through Samaria. Well, Jesus went right into Samaria because he wanted to have an appointment with a woman, uh, in some ways an outcast of this town of Sychar in Samaria. Um, so it tells you a lot. First thing Jesus, one of the first things Jesus does is go out of his way to go meet this woman. First of all, you, you don't meet with a woman on your own as a man. You certainly don't meet with a Samaritan woman. Um, and he's challenging her, uh, talking to her, letting her know that he accepts her for who she is, and it radically changes her life. She goes back into town and uh, convinces people, is this the guy we've been waiting for? Because Samaritans, they were kind of half-breeds, they were half-Jewish, half-not, and they were outcasts from the, the pure Jewish faith. Um, but they still had a belief in the Old Testament, belief in the Messiah. And they said, is this the guy? He told me everything about me. So here's how this encounter ends in... <clears throat> where it is it? Oh, many Samaritans, this is John 4. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard from our, for ourselves. Now we believe because we've uh, heard from him. We know that this man really is the savior of the world. Uh, so what does it mean to believe? Did it, it was belief the first time? Belief the second time. Um, I just say it's an interesting interaction they have, and it goes on. Um, today, what I want, or the main focus is the next story in John 4, kind of makes a little more of a clear point uh, that we want to look at. And that says in John 4, after the two days, so this is clearly right after he left Samaria, and he's heading back up to Galilee. After the two days, he left for Galilee. He makes a side note. Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Topic for another day. Uh, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Uh, once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official uh, whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Not an unusual encounter. This is kind of still early on in Jesus' ministry, but now people have heard about him. They've heard from him. And this guy comes to Jesus and said, I, I, I need you to come with me. My son's near death. Jesus' response is kind of different. Um, Jesus says this, Unless you people see signs and wonders... You will never believe. Uh, again, put that in context. You know, the Jewish leaders were always looking for, well, give us a sign. Prove to us that you're who you say you are. Uh, and he's saying, you won't follow, you won't take action until you see some dramatic uh, miracle or some sign or wonder. Um, well, I love this because the royal, royal official simply said, sir, come down before my child dies. It's kind of like, hey, I'm not really, I don't care about signs. I just want you to come with me because I believe that you can save my son. Uh, Jesus' response is this. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. (laughs) 
So the man took him at his word and departed. So Jesus just didn't even say, okay, I'll come with you. He just told him, go, your son will live. And the man departed. The man took action. The man believed Jesus and said, okay, I believe you. I'll go home. I'll trust that what you say is true. And so he left. Um, Then, uh, while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, well, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time (coughs) at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. (coughs) So which which was it? Because clearly he believed Jesus, took Jesus at his word and started out for home. But then he had this experience, he had this confirmation, and then it said, then he and his whole household believed. It's not just, it's just a one-time thing. Which one counts? Which one's more important? I would just suggest they're both important. They're both belief. Because belief, again, isn't static. It's not a one-time thing. It's not an all or nothing. Belief is something that grows, that builds. Uh, that's what I think is going on here. Um, <laughs> so, with that in mind, I just want to share my own story of, of this. Uh, and maybe you'll relate to this because we all have that, I think. Uh, if we're following Jesus, we have that experience of faith growing, faith having to be challenged, faith having to be acted upon. Uh, when Judy and I were looking at going to Malawi, uh, that was kind of a bold step. That was 18 years ago. And uh, we were just our youngest of four children were just graduating that spring from high school. So we, uh, it was a kind of a major transition time in our life. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And uh, we had had kind of an interest in international ministry uh, when we first got married, but never really acted on it. We thought, well, hey, we'll check that out. Uh, because we lived in San Jose, California, and just above maybe two hours away was a Young Life camp. And like March of that year, they had an informa- international information weekend to let people know what was going on around the world. And, and literally, I, I said, Judy, well, she couldn't even go because she had something planned. I said, well, I'll go, and we'll kind of check off you know, three-quarters of the world, and then we'll, we really thought we'd come back to the Northwest and, and continue doing Young Life. So I went to this camp uh, this weekend, and it was probably, they would even admit, probably the worst uh, information weekend they ever put on. They had two guys that... This was their first uh, event. They had nobody from the field to share with us what was going on. Um, But somehow God kind of pricked my heart a bit, got me thinking about the importance of going uh, internationally. Uh, So at least thinking about it. Well, the last morning they set up these displays uh, after our last meal together and said, hey, before you leave, we just want you to go pray around or pray over these areas of the world that they had different picture displays. Uh, okay. So I went over and uh, I think I started with South America and went there and thought about, prayed about, went to the next display. I can't remember if it was Europe or Asia or somewhere. And then the third one I went to was Africa. And I, I, I don't know how to explain this, but all of a sudden my heart just started racing. Uh, the pictures literally almost started morphing like, you know, you get like a live mode when you take pictures and they kind of, do that. That's kind of what the pictures were doing to me. I could almost see myself drawn in there, into the picture, see myself there. First and only time that God's ever <laughs> done anything like that. 
But it got my attention. I thought, so I went to the guys there and I said, well, so what's going on in Africa? Uh, well, you know, we really don't know. We, uh, I know they just sent a guy there a year ago to, uh, to start developing Africa. Uh, they're raising up national leaders. I said, oh, okay. Um, long story short, or shorter, it's still long. <laughs> we uh, got a hold of the guy and, uh, well, we, had, we prayed, we talked to people and, and then we had this weird experience. Judy had a dream that was really, uh, some other time I'll share that with you. Uh, but all those things got us to the point where we said, uh, we believe that God is calling us to go to Africa. He's making it pretty clear. Um, and so we took an exploratory trip. They said, well, there might be some place in Malawi, might be some place in Tanzania you might consider. So we went to Malawi. And uh, first night we got there, there were, I think there were four different couples from all, they were very diverse group, uh, uh, Malawian pastor, national, and his, his wife. There was South African couple, couple from Zimbabwe. Um, anyway, there was a, a very diverse group. So we're having this great conversation and talking about them. And of course, my mind is like, well, how, why, why young life in your, in Malawi? I didn't even know where Malawi was at the time. Yeah, well, I got there obviously, but before we went, I didn't know where it was. And, uh, and they started telling us, this one gal in the group, uh, when she was 16 years old in Durban, South Africa, she went on a rotary exchange program to Oregon and uh, landed in, can't remember where exactly in Oregon, but um, Portland area somewhere. And she got placed in this host family that turned out to be, they were imploding. They were in a very negative situation. Well, their neighbor picked up on that and invited her. She came like in the spring, which kind of odd for the school year. And... Uh, they, she invited her to go to a Young Life camp in Canada that June. And she went to this camp, Malibu in, in Canada, uh, gave her life to Christ, committed her life to Christ, came back to South Africa, uh, finished high school, whatever. Well, now it's 20-some years later, uh, roughly 20 years, and she's, got, she's married, she's got a couple uh, teenage boys that are just entering high school age. And this guy that hosted them, because she came back from camp and lived with this new couple for the year, uh, said, hey, you're, uh, how old are your boys now? Well, we would pay for them to come to go to Young Life Camp in Oregon. And so they did. They, the two boys, I think they were maybe 16 and 14, came to Oregon, went to Young Life Camp, made a commitment to follow Christ. And so she comes back to Malawi and says, okay, we got to have Young Life here. Uh, it changed my life, changed my kid's life. What do we do? And she got a hold of the guy who was kind of organizing, developing Young Life in Africa. And he said, just get together and start praying. Um, trust that God will show you uh, what needs to happen if you're going to have Young Life in Malawi. So they started praying. Well, that was their story. And I said, oh, that's fascinating. When, uh, when did you start praying? <laughs> just had to ask the question. Because uh, it seemed like it was just a couple months ago. Yeah, well, they started thinking, talking. Yeah, I pointed back like two months. Well, it's been six, eight weeks. Yeah, eight weeks. Uh, it was this weekend. They pointed on the date. That was the weekend I was at this camp. Well, so is that, I mean, clearly that was kind of confirmation. I believed that God was calling us to Africa. But it wasn't, it didn't start there. It started back a month or two before when we were praying about when we were going to this uh, weekend, all of that kind of stuff. I share that just to say that to me is more the nature of what it means to believe. That belief is, is, begins at one point and it grows. Um, 
So with that in mind, uh, I would say the best way to look at it may be you act on what you believe, then you act on what you believe, then you act on what you believe. That's the nature of faith. I, I can only say what I believe today is far more than I believed 10 years ago, a lot more than I believed 20 years ago, almost indistinguishable about what I believed 40 years ago uh, as a kid growing up uh, in high school. Uh, that to me is the nature of faith. Well, as your relationship grows, so does your faith. Also, I just want to say this is a way of encouragement uh, because some people struggle with belief. They think it has to be all or nothing. They think it has to be, well, I kind of believe, but there's some areas that I don't really think I believe that I should. Um, and they struggle with that. Well, I will read another story. Uh, this is where a demon-possessed boy, his dad brings him to Jesus. Uh, and here's how that story plays out. Jesus, this is in Mark 9, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Well, from childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And then Jesus, I wish I could hear how Jesus says things. If you can, said Jesus. I mean, I don't know if he's got a smile on his face or just, if you can, Oh my gosh. And then he says, everything is possible for him who believes. And then this great line, thank you for this story, Bible, because it is so good for me to hear. Um, Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What a great verse. It is possible to believe and still have doubt. It's possible to believe and still not believe in other areas. I just want us to know that that's part of this journey because it's a relationship. It's not simple. It's complicated. You know, in my own marriage, I love my wife and, and there's a struggle to love my wife in other areas. She's the other way. I'm not sure I love Gary, but there are some things I love about Gary. You get my point. Uh, it's not, a relationship is not that simple. Uh, and then there's this verse in Mark, uh, or excuse me, in Matthew. The last time Jesus is with his disciples, I shared this um, later verse with you last week. But it started out like this. This is when Jesus had already resurrected from the dead, appeared that Sunday, appeared the next Sunday, and told his disciples, go to Galilee. I'll meet you up there. So they make their way to Galilee, and this is his last appearance. It it reads like this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. What? Are you serious? What, what do I have to do for you not to doubt anymore? Well, I, you know, I read that I, as an arrogant college-age kid or something. I probably said, I would never have doubted if I was there. Are you kidding me? You've lived with him for three years, seen his miracles, heard him, saw him rise from the dead, and you still doubt. Well, that's because I think belief and doubt coexist. I'm not sure we ever completely get rid of it. I have to say, as much as I am in love with Jesus, as much as I believe in Jesus, there's still areas that I say, gosh, I don't know. Why did Jesus allow that to happen to that person? Why did three of my guys I poured my life into in Malawi die in a car accident 
and wiped out the entire staff of Malawi Young Life. You know, I doubt sometimes. But if I just hang in there, they coexist, take the next step, uh, your faith will grow and your doubt will diminish. Um, I'll share the end result. I kind of threw something pretty major out there. I didn't intend to. But uh, there is a great ending to that story because I believe in uh, Romans 8.28 that says all things work together for good for those that love God and walk according to his purpose, those that continue to step out in faith, those that will believe enough to take the next step and trust that God will take care of the doubts, that he will make things happen for good if we'll continue to take the next step. Well, uh, that's, that's what I have to share. As we transition uh, to communion, uh, I did want to throw some questions on the board. Uh, these are in your notes. I, again, encourage you to take these, look at them, pray over them, think about them. Um, and these are those. When did you first believe in Jesus? You know, I mean, maybe after today you have a different definition of what that is. Uh, it would be for me. It wasn't when I was 12 or 13 believing in the Apostles' Creed. It was when I was at that same camp in Malibu saying, okay, I'm going to follow this guy. Um, that's when I did. Uh, what action did you take? Uh, if, it, if it was the time you believed in Jesus for the first time, what action did you take to establish that? What's the third one? How has your belief or faith grown? Uh, because again, my, what I believe today is much different than what I believed 10, 20 years ago. Uh, what doubts do you have? Do you still have? What doubts do you struggle with in this journey to believe? Um, and finally, what action do you need to take to strengthen your belief? Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.